Well, greetings, everybody. Thanks for coming. I was a little dis- I discombobulated last week, and so I didn't do what I wanted to do, which I'm going to start now, which is I want to dedicate these Thursday classes to Stu Morrow's memory. Um, some of you didn't know Stu, but most, any, of the, any of us who've been here a bunch, Stu was a founding member of the congregation who just passed away um, six weeks ago? Less? Yeah. yeah, a month ago. And Stu was, Stu attended just about every class I ever taught. He was always here on Thursday. And so, and he sat where Rob I was going to say, I'm not, I, I don't want to sit, no, no, sit there. Sit there. His, uh, sit there. Chair and chair. I've just been thinking about Stu and how he's not here. Yeah. I was thinking that before I came today, like, Stu won't be. I know, and so I wanted to say that, that I want to dedicate these teachings to Stu's memory, and I wanted to start with that. He was 83, 82, and uh, he lived a good life, and uh, he, the congregation was, the cent- was really the center of his, uh, his, his life. He, he had a great impact here on many, many people. <sighs> So I wanted to say that. Um, now, the other thing I wanted to say is, whatever temperature it is in this room, this is it. Because when I came in this morning, I turned on the heat because it was cold in here, and the and smoke filled up the room, and uh, you can probably smell it if you. Uh, uh, it was an electrical fire of some kind. Con- well, it's some something electric. Anyway, so we shut it down, and they're coming tomorrow to see what's wrong with the furnace. You know, I hadn't used it in months. So, I don't know. I don't know what it was. So, if you get... So, I can't do anything to help you with temperature control today. It's perfect. It is. I know. Lucky for us. (laughs) I needed to tell you that. Okay. So, I want to spend this week and next week continuing to use this piece of paper. We're going to work on the front of it today. And next week, we'll look at the back. Um, and for those who weren't here last time, a brief word of introduction. I, there is a, yes, there are plenty of them. I put more on the table over there. That's it, that one sheet. Do you need one, anybody? Good. We are in the month of Elul. The month of Elul that precedes is the month that precedes the Jewish New Year. The Jewish spiritual tradition is that during the month of Elul, we focus, we focus ourselves on getting ourselves back on track. Spiritually, relationally, that's what we do. So that, that, that process is known in Hebrew as teshuvah. Teshuvah means to respond or to return. Getting back on track is a nice way, I think, of saying it in uh, English for Teshuvah. It also relates, as many of you know, to the meaning of the word sin in Hebrew is the word chet. Um, Chet is translated as sin, and chet, as I've taught over the years, is is in in verb form in Hebrew, means to miss a target. So if you shoot an arrow and you miss the target, 
It's called lehachti, to miss. So a chet, a sin, is getting off track. Right? It's not inherent. It's not an inherent condition. It's a, it's an, um, it's a product of behavior. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is, that, now, I don't want to overstate it, but that really is the Jewish perspective on all this. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where we, do, where we r- repent and get back on track again. Right? That's the whole idea. So I really like that term, getting back on track. Um, and um, <clears throat> that's what this month is for. So those who practice, like us, the Jewish spiritual tradition, where this is the schedule we're on. So as I explained last time, there is a whole Jewish sort of esoteric art called gematria, which gets translated in English as numerology. Because every Hebrew letter has a numerical value. And it has been my practice for many, many years now. Uh, it's sort of a pl- this playful, wonderful thing to do, to take the Jewish year. This year, the Jewish year is 5,777. Or to take just the 777, because it's the custom not to, generally not to include the millenniums in uh, counting. And then to see, according to numerology, which Hebrew words add up to the value of that year and phrases. So that, and then I use those as my sort of uh, homer. Homer means uh, material to uh, see what, uh, to guide me in my spiritual uh, attentiveness as I approach the new year. So that's what we're doing. And last week, we, uh, we explained that there is one verse in the entire Hebrew Bible that adds up to the number 5,777 if you add up the numerical values of each letter. And it's this line from Lamentations, which we spent a lot of time talking about. My enemies have ensnared me like a bird without cause. I thought... Wow, so that's the message for me coming into this new year. This, for me, this feeling of being trapped by cultural and societal and political forces totally beyond, I didn't want them, I didn't make them, I didn't, and yet here I am. And it's affecting me deeply. Now, it's affecting, it it affects us all externally in terms of uh, uh, the way our country, our society, our world functions. But at the High Holidays, this, we're, our first challenge and our first task is to take note of how we're being affected internally so that we can then turn our attention to the world not out of reactivity, but out of power, right? Out of our place of uh, a healthy ego, control, understanding what we can control and what we can't control, being the people we want to be, rather than being, as it were, victims of circumstance. Does that make sense, everybody? So this verse really speaks to me right now. Uh, I don't even think I need to elaborate. 
Um, and I will, and my goal for the high holidays, really, I've been, I, you know, part of what I do is I prepare for the high holidays, I prepare myself, and then my goal is to transmit to the community whatever I can that will help everyone walk into the new year more upright and not, not tangled up in this w- internal web of reactivity, fear, um, despair, anger, you know, all the powerlessness, all those things that, that we all wrestle with all the time. And then, as we step into the new year, we'll each... I'm not here to tell you what to do. That's not my job. I'm not the mayor, you know? Uh, my job, which I embrace, is to help us figure out how we each can stand tall, find our voice, take the steps we want to take, right? That's why the synagogue's not a political organization. And that's why the high holidays aren't a political holiday. Right? They're all about us getting back on track so that we can be the most impactful citizens, human beings, lovers, partners, parents, anything uh, that we want to be in our lives. And then we'll let the chips fall after that, but at least we're doing what we can, each of us. Um, and of course, we're the beneficiaries of that work. It's great not to feel completely uh, overwhelmed. So we'll do our best to strengthen each other. That's the way I look at it going into the new year. Um, so here's this verse of feeling ensnared. And we talked about it a lot last time. We also talked at length about the wonder of this year being 777, given that seven is the most important number in the Jewish tradition and uh, sort of uh, uh, symbolizer, the number seven. We talked a lot about that last time. What I want to do this week is that having come to this verse, we, I then, using this computer program, <laughs> um, asked the computer, look through the Hebrew Bible and see what phrases add up to 777. That is the gematria of Taf, Shin, Ayin, Zion. Those four letters up at the top. And of the uh, variety of phrases that, it, that the computer spit out, as I said last time, many of them aren't actual phrases. Many of them are like cut off in the middle of a sentence or the first word of one, last word of one sentence, the beginning of another sentence. So I just immediately reject all those. And then I let my attention go to the complete clauses or sentences that come out. And I chose these four. I chose them as potential guidance for us in how to not become ensnared in all the traps of powerlessness that are laid out there for us. So I thought what I'd like to do first today is use our collective wisdom, right? Lots of life experience in this room to talk about these and reflect on these spiritual qualities and do that together. Okay, everybody? So, um, yes, Susan. Um, could you just tell me briefly what the seven stands for? In, uh, in sure. And by the way, I posted last... Uh, I posted... What does the seven stand for? I posted last week's class on the Lev Shalem Institute website. Oh, okay. So you can listen to it at any time. Oh, great. 
And some people did listen to it and gave us, gave me really great feedback. They really uh, uh, found a lot of value in listening to it. So Lev, it's, it, if you, it's, the website is LSI. Hang on a second. Yeah. Go slow. <laughs> Sorry. Sure. LSI hyphen WJC dot org. All the things I write and all the things I teach are posted there. One more time. LSI hyphen WJC dot org. Thank you. You're very welcome. And uh, it's, it's where I've been archiving all of our classes. And if you click on teachings, It'll just take you to a, a lot of stuff. But it's good to have it somewhere um, where it's available to people. So seven, because the Torah begins that the world is created in seven days, and on the seventh day is the day not just to rest, but to recuperate from all the work we do. By and not recuperate just physically, but recuperate by reestablishing our point of view on life. That during the six days, we naturally get caught up in the drama of living. And the seventh day is the, is the day to step back from that and remember, for example, that it's a total miracle and mystery that we're even here experiencing being alive, for example. It's about getting the big picture back so that it can contain all the other stuff without all the other stuff of life overwhelming us. So it's this perspective of expanded consciousness. It's the perspective of enlightenment. It's the perspective of, you know, the God's point of view, one might say. There's a whole lot of ways you could describe it. But we have a choice in life, which is to get caught up and entrapped in the drama of everything that's going on. Or to experience the drama, but, not, but know that it's all, in, it's all embedded in such an incredible, wondrous mystery that maybe we can hold life a little more lightly. So seven represents wholeness, completion, God's point of view, the day, the, t the and I'll, you know, there's much to say about it. Helen? I was thinking when you said that in today's common way, it's so common to say a reboot. Reboot. That's right. So Shabbat in computeries, Shabbat is the day to reboot and refresh and all of that. Very nice. Yes. Yes, Suzanne. What about the fact that there are three senses? I'll, I'll repeat, Bob. People I have, have new hearing aids and they're expensive and I got them so I could come to class. That's so frustrating. Yes, because people whisper. People speak in their normal speaking voice, and it, so anybody who is capable of projecting, do it for the benefit of the class. Okay, so I'm going to project. Um, what about the fact that there are three sevens? Three sevens. Yes. So seven, seven, seven. seven. Mm -hmm. That is called in Hebrew, chomer ledrush, 
which means material for explication. <laughs> we get to make stuff up about what three sevens might mean. Okay? And that's the fun of it. That's the fun of Torah study, is that, hmm, I wonder what three sevens mean. Well, Rabbi so-and-so says, and, but Rabbi so-and-so says, and then you're off and running. Because Torah study is, an, is sometimes it's about, it, sometimes it's um, uh, about figuring out what the right thing to do is in a very, a very um, uh, linear way. And at other times, it's completely associative. One of the tricks is knowing which, which uh, tool you're using at any given time. But when I, when I see that, the word, that it's 777, I know that there's not, a, there's not a linear answer to that question. There's just the fact that it'll spark us to associate on what a multiple, multiple, multiple might, might be leading us to. So that's, the, that's my answer. Were you able to hear her when she raised her voice? A bit, yes. Okay, well, I'll do our best, Bob. I'm sorry it's so frustrating. Well, it's... Uh, the, anyway, it's the, the phase of life I'm in. Yes, it is, and it's frustrating. <laughs> yes. Hi, I'm Lisa. Lisa. Hi, everyone. Um, so this is my first time here, and um, it's good to be here. I just, you know, it just feels good to be. I, I'm not very um, re religious, but I feel spiritual. Uh, but anyway, I just, and just to be around other people that are of the same ilk, it feels good. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. I feel for you. <laughs> right. I do, because, yeah. you know, I have some uh, ear stuff issues, and it's, it sucks, as they say. Um, so I just... Yeah, so I just wanted to say this thing about, first of all, I'm glad it's not 666, okay? <laughs> that was so last century. <laughs> um, but the ensnared part, okay. So for me, every day it's like, what's going to set me free? Because it's not just the, I don't want to say those, that politician's name or those people or the, you know, or, or, or what it is about, you know, the news that makes me feel that it adds to the dark side of my life. Mm -hmm. Because I realize at this stage that any, if I look at the dark or look at the problem with anything, I can get obsessed with it. Yep. It's in my nature. Mm -hmm. So how am I going to um, get unensnared as, as it is with anything, with my best friend? I could blame anybody for this restlessness that's human. That's right. So I wake up and I feel like, what the heck sometimes? Like, I'm here and, and, and I lost this one and that happened and I'm supposed to, you know, be coping at this point. And, you know, so I, I, go, I go for things like this that I know are going to lead me to the answer that's going to set me free inside. Mm -hmm. Regardless if, it, if it's, you know, politics or, you know, um, anything that, that I'm going to use in my little craziness to make me feel entitled and make me feel like I'm not getting enough. Right. So that's why I came. Thanks. That's, you're in the right place. <laughs> because I, you notice I very delicately avoided uh, saying that the external cause is one thing or another. Uh, and, uh, but we're all experiencing a particularly turbulent time right now where it's easy to get sucked in. Uh, but it's not about that. Mm -hmm. Not this work. Mm -hmm. um, and I should also add that one of the pitfalls 
of doing this is then try is then that we because we so much want to be right and know the answer and do the right thing we're just sort of wired that way um, to then if we're not feeling expansive to think we're doing something wrong that's not how it works life is hard right that's let's just start there life is hard and seas are stormy and we're doing our best so we in addition to holding other things lightly we have to hold our own judgments of ourselves lightly and let ourselves know that we're going to come in and out of shadow we're going to get it and then we're going to lose it we're going to and we're just here to keep each other company and and do our best to stay on the stay stay on track um and one of the dangers is that is that we wound up we wind up beating ourselves up for uh how come I'm not good at this? Well, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> the, uh, the, one of my favorite lines in the Torah is when God says to Moses, remember these long way I took you in the wilderness and these 40 years of wandering in order to test you, to find out what was in your hearts, whether you would walk the path of mitzvot or not. It's like, oh, so we're on this... So there's an ancient author trying to figure out why it's so hard. Well, maybe, and they come up with a, a good way for them to express it. It'll work for you sometimes, not other times, which is that, oh, life's hard. Life's a, life's a test. It's uh, seeing, we have to see what we're made of. You know, and that's all, so it's all, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. So uh, let's look at this first phrase. Vishavtem betach, and they shall dwell in security. Betach is a Hebrew word. Anybody speaks modern Hebrew? Someone says, "Are you coming tonight?" They'll say betach. It means sure. That's what it means. Gail. I just noticed that all of these are in Deuteronomy. Yes, I chose them on purpose. They all the best phrases all came from Deuteronomy. And I'm glad you mentioned it because I felt like Lamentations and Deuteronomy are in dialogue here. Right. Uh, and that's interesting because Lamentations, as I said last time, is a book that claims we don't know where God is. Life is just miserable. We don't have the answers. Please help us. And Deuteronomy is a book, when you read it by itself, that's almost hard to stomach sometimes because it's all about if you're good... <laughs> God will reward you. But if you sin, all this crap's going to happen to you. And it's like, oh, come on. So Lamentations is presenting the, God, the, the view of God as sort of remote and mysterious. And Deuteronomy is saying very, very like, um, here's the way it works. But in res- I, I thought about this, that one by itself is insufficient. But in dialogue, Deuteronomy has something to say to Lamentations. Right? Just like Lamentations has something to say to Deuteronomy. You know, when Deuteronomy in Kitavo says, and you'll be cursed, and you'll be uh, driven to the ends of the earth, and you'll, you'll, mothers will cook their young just to survive, and then Lamentation says, and there we were in destroyed Jerusalem, and mothers were cooking their young to survive. What, what, it's like, so what I'm saying not too articulately is that, in that horrible phrase, is that uh, Deuteronomy is claiming there's a reason why the worst things happen. Lamentations is claiming there's, there's no reason, in a way, just help us, help us. 
And um, so here's some help from Deuteronomy. Reason implies purpose. There's a reason, there's a purpose that this is happening. But if you're ensnared and your enemy gives you no, no wiggle room, um, how can you find uh, that? Right. How can you find a place of refuge and security within? That's the first question. Um, people do. People do. People find that place where uh, we shall not be moved. Where they people find it. What is it? I mean, this this exhibit is real testimony mm. to that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can find it, but just in case you didn't, weren't aware, these are the people who resisted the Nazis. A lot of them went to their death, knowingly. But, and these are some of their writings, and they express such peace in their hearts. It's, you know, I don't know that I could do that. Right. I haven't been tested that way, thank goodness. But so that's why I'm asking all of us. I'm asking all of us, horizontally, so in your darkest times, in your most, uh, where was there a, 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 was there a learning, was there a place of refuge, a place of security within where you could dwell in the midst of that? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I was just going to say, and I'll try to speak for you, Bob. Um, I've actually experienced that in the absence Okay, so being in a dark place and losing my way and realizing that I lost my way because I lost my connection to God. So it was sort of the opposite. It was not necessarily the epiphany of, ah, I'm, I got a pat on my back. Something's here to keep me secure. It was almost the absence. I go, oh, that's, what, that's the problem here. That's what's befallen me. I've lost that, that connection. And when that connection gets lost, shit happens. So the, now, for our purposes of our discourse, everyone he, when, when Rob says, lost my connection to God, we need to ask Rob, what do you mean by that? Oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> remember, we don't, we're not, for those who are new here, we're not legislating what that means. And yet, it's an, how do you find refuge within yourself if you are all you've got? I mean, that's the question of faith, of the path of faith. If you think that you are the terminus of your life, as opposed to perhaps the conduit or the vehicle, you're in trouble because we aren't that strong. So, uh, Bob, were you going to say something? I had a different question. Yes, sir. Um, these are selected from a number of uh, phrases, right? Right. And can you give an example of some that you didn't include? I have it on a pad in my office. Okay. There were many dark, dark phrases. <laughs> you know, each year I do this, and I'm amazed by the trends that I see. Shall I go get my pad for the fun of it? It's just in my office. <laughs> Well, let me explain why I asked. Yeah. It's sort of statistics. Uh, is this 
four of 40, or is this four of 400? Where did these four... I have um, to get my pad. Okay. But because this is associative and I make no claim to systematic, this is really me uh, um, tossing lots with the Torah, you know, and uh, I Ching and like, what is the message the Torah has to give me? So then, or tarot cards, and I do it, I look at it, and I follow my first but association. This is, this is uh, the mystery of the Torah. Yes. And this is the wonder, so I would like to hear more. I'll be right back. Right, but she knows the she knows the lead. God, I'm sleeping with him <laughs> for a long time. Um, Hops and the weasel, seven o'clock. Dancing. We'll be in here. It'll, yeah, it'll be in in the, in here. And anybody who wants to help decorate, uh, let me know, and I can use some help. It'll be earlier on Sunday. Thank you. Good. So I'll give you some examples of cool. Thank you. Here's just for fun. Here are some examples of coherent phrases that came out also. Vayishkon mikedem lagan Eden, and they settled to the east of the Garden of Eden. Well, that's really a, quite a famous. I know. Phrase. East of Eden. That's from Genesis chapter three. Verse 24. Uh, so there's one. And that came out again with the... 777. Remarkable. Here's the next one. Uh, um, Shiv'im Shana, 70 years. Which occurs a dozen, dozen times it came out. Uh, 70 years. Now, I could have gone with that one because 70 in Jewish tradition is means the whole shebang. There are se- in, in, in Torah, if they say the 70 nations, they mean all the peoples of the earth. If they say the 70 languages, they mean all the languages spoken on earth. So 70, and King David lived to 70, and that's considered to A be lifespan. the lifespan. So 70 t- is another example of a seven that's very significant. And interestingly, Seven Shivim Shana. Do you? I hope you don't mind this digression. I do. You do? Okay. Then uh, I'll just share a few more, and uh, we'll get back to the topic at hand. I don't see it as a digression, but well, it wasn't my lesson plan. <laughs> anyway, I'll go on a little longer to give you a sense. Alna achai teirau. Please, my brothers, don't do this bad thing. That's what Lot says to the men of Sodom uh, when they want to uh, uh, rape um, his house guests. So I thought that one, mm-hmm. Um, uh, another one that came up was Ha'atiru uh, ba'adi, pray for me, which is what Pharaoh says to Moses 
Uh, when Moses goes to pray to God, he says, pray for me too, Pharaoh says, at one moment of weakness. Interesting, huh? Just, I think it's remarkable. This method is just a random mm-hmm. way to randomly choose phrases. So the fact that some others add up to the same thing really insignificant. Well, uh, unless no, Diane, no. On the contrary, I could give this list to each of you, and you could pick out. Right. Right. So it's these are the ones Jonathan picked. Out. Right. Right. So you already are. I'm shaping Focusing, it. Shaping right, that's because I'm the teacher, so that's my yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, I think, I would like to talk yeah. about the ones you chose. Sure. And um, so, uh, oh, and the Psalms, yes. When we get to the Psalms on the back of this page next week, we'll be looking at them for guidance, too. So, um, those are some of the, those are just a few examples. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. You've been looking for a list yet. Well, it's not exactly readable. <laughs> yes? Um, I just wanted, about that question before of uh, how do you get back to the power or the connection? Yes. Yeah. Um, the place of security, the place, place of refuge. Yes. Is that, like, the, that's what we call it, like the... Any color, anything you want. yeah. yeah. And then um, that connection, that connection feels, um, I guess, what I would imagine of God. You know, that connection feels like that's what it feels like. And I personally have to do something. I can't just sit there, <laughs> like, in order to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have either have to, like, meditate or get up and physically move to get out of whatever, you know, is going mm-hmm. on in my mind mm-hmm. to change, you know, sort of move, move a muscle change of thought <coughs> to shift into it. Because if I stay in the same, you know, thought process of, you know, spiraling down, because I think that's what it is, is, is when I'm not connected, I'm not thinking, you know, in a godly way, you know what I mean? In a mm-hmm. way that is higher. I'm mm-hmm. thinking in a, a way that is more maybe neurotic or self, you mm-hmm. know, obsessive. Mm-hmm. Is that what I mean? Uh, I, you're doing fine. But yeah, there's not a right answer here. I'm raising the question yeah. that these phrases, uh, I'm saying these phrases might be, as I said, remedies for, being, for the ways that we feel ensnared. Uh, um, and uh, there's a word that came to my mind each time I came to this phrase, Vyashavtem Betach, which is that one of, the, one of the names of God in the Torah is Tzur which means rock. Uh, you stand on the rock. Um, God, I love that as a metaphor for, uh, for what God is. It's like when you feel like, I mean, at some point God might be the river, right, that you're flowing in. At other times it might be the rock, the place that cannot be moved, this place of stability, the place of assuredness, um, coherence, connection. Um, and uh, when you say to somebody, you're my rock, you know, that's, to me, dwelling in security. That's, that's like your touchstone. What does that word come from, touchstone? It's Ma Bell. the way of proving metals, I think. Proving metals? Like to see if gold was really gold. I think that's right. Scratched it with some kind of stone. And oh, how interesting. I think. That sounds right. I had no idea. Um, so how... How do I do this? 
Where is your place where you dwell in security? And it's going to be an ironic or at least paradoxical situation because I find great security in knowing that the universe is infinite. That it's not all, that somehow I'm not that important. It's very interesting. And yet I'm a part of it all. Uh, that, is a, that is a great place of, 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 of refuge for me, looking up at the sky. Um, and yet ironically, or again paradoxically, there's this other place of refuge where you feel loved. Um, and um, my top, one of my top ten prayers is the poem Adon Olam in the prayer book, which is recited at the end of traditionally of every service. Um, where, um, and we've studied it here before, because it turns out, you know, it's one of those things I grew up singing every week until I knew it by heart and had no idea what it meant. Um, and then when I actually looked at it, I realized it's an amazing description. Adon Olam Asher Malach, master of the universe, who has reigned from before there was a before and after there's going to be an after, who has no beginning and no end, bli reshit, bli tachlit, velo ha'oz, and in you is all the glory and the power. Uh, you are a manosli, which means a refuge for me. And when I call to you, you answer me. And as long as breath is in my body, I know you are with me and I will not fear. Hmm. So Adon Olam, is this amazing poem by Solomon Ibn Gabirol, a Jewish poet and philosopher of the uh, 11th century Spain, uh, who is articulating in five couplets this idea that God is an infinite mystery beyond time and space, beyond anything we can imagine, and yet we can have a relationship with that awareness that becomes a place of safety and strength for us. That's my answer, is that paradox of faith, that uh, you're not that important, and yet you're, you're safe, you're cherished. So I, so I use Adon Olam as my sort of text for that in the Jewish tradition. How do you spell that? A-D-O-N, Olam, O-L-A-M, which means master of the universe. Um, and it's a poem that you will, a prayer that you'll be e easily able to find. Um, Helen? You know, if you look at it, you're saying this was written by someone maybe in the 11th century. Mm -hmm. It kind of puts in perspective we're talking about how chaotic everything that we're feeling now is, and like this is the worst thing that could has ever happened. That's but right. These people lived through and survived the Middle Ages. The Middle Ages. <laughs> Those good old Middle Ages. I, you know, they looked. You know, they did. They did it, and we'll do it too. Right. If Solomon and Gabriel in eleven hundred can be contemplating this stuff, we can too. Isn't that a beautiful, that's beautiful. So some of us find that comfort and refuge, that place of security in the long view of human history. They didn't have nuclear weapons, though. Oh, so it's worse now? That's like, um, 
<laughs> we don't have the Black Plague. What, what do you do? You know? Um, uh, who said, oh, where, where did this come from? It's just popping in my head. If I could live anywhere or be anything, it would be I would want to live in, in this place at this moment with the people I know right now. That's my ideal. And it's a beautiful kind of approach Tolstoy to it all. Said it. Really? Yeah, in one of his stories about um, the three things that you would do, because it was about this king who did, he lost, he didn't believe in religion, but he wanted to have some things to live by. And one of the things is, what's the most important time? Because he made up his own religion, right? Oh. And it's now. The other one was, who's the most important person? The person you're with. Mm. Um, and what's the most important thing? And is to care about that person. Thank you. Yeah. That's so the... beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. That would certainly be a, a way to structure your life so that you had, a, you had a, a sense of place and purpose. Yes, so even if you don't have a cosmic perspective, even contemplating the stream of, of human history can remind you in that way. I like that very much. Thank you, Helen. Uh, Gail? There's a very old by now series of books by a science fiction writer, Isaac Asimov, yeah. Foundation. Yeah. And for those of us who read it, I know for me, it, left a, it, it takes place in the far future, and the, the frame is over hundreds of thousands of years of yes. human history. And for me, for starting as a kid, it gave me that way of somehow experiencing history, of being very long frame, you know? And that's all. Just, that's so good. Oh, I read the Foundation trilogy, and then there were more after that. I think three, at least three. At least three. three and I don't three. remember them at all. Now I'm gonna. Now I'm gonna. I bet, I bet it influenced oh, it was. I was completely, yeah. <laughs> completely absorbed in them at my at the time. And tell us about what meditation, how, what, how that assists you to find that place of stability because, and security. Because the meditation, mindfulness meditation practice, which is what I'm talking about, whether it's using the Torah or strength of Hasidic mindfulness meditation, um, bit by bit, starts by making one more and more aware of one's habitual reactions. And gradually, as one spots them, then off the cushion, they become more, less and less me, and more and more, oh, that's a tick I have, <laughs> T-I-C. Mm -hmm. um, and the more that, so the sense, the, all of the stuff that we get caught up in in reactivity gets less and less. There are times on a really long retreat even a week, which isn't that long, where I can't even describe it, but there's simply no fear left of any kind, no, no need for armor of any kind. And when that happens, there's nothing but love. Mm -hmm. It's an astonishing experience. Each time it happens, I find, you know, where I'm just, I went up to Arthur Wasco at the retreat I was at this summer, and I don't know Arthur. Uh, I've met him, but I don't know him. But I went up to him, and I just said, I have to tell 
tell you what you're doing is so fantastic. You are worth gold plus. It is wonderful. I would never do that. You know? And why not? That's and, right. And why not? And I had tears in my eyes. I had to tell him. You know, and there, there was just no obstruction. You know? so, so then that, the... that quality that of not being reactive and of being able to see with love is the mm -hmm. ultimate. That's when you're a channel, a pure channel. But this is work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and the other thing I was going to say was that one of the places I think to go in, which is where I think you're heading, as is is, but I don't know how you get there necessarily. Is the more one can accept our very limited control over what happens, which you were saying before, is such because that's such a powerful part of our de basic defensive structure. I can make it different. I must make it, therefore, therefore I must make it different. Mm -hmm. If I haven't made it different, I have failed. I mean, you know the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I, I can make it happen. And we, we can't. We can do what we can do, but that's all. But how do you get to that, of being able to really accept that fully? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not supposed to accept it fully, just well, get it all... Right, but, oh boy, thank you. You just said that all so beautifully. So the place of security that we might be able to dwell would be the place where we can take our armor off. That's what you were describing. I'm saying that, but I don't know how, but how to get Well, you, that, that's, when meditation is a pathway. You're, there. Yeah. you're uh, there. That's That's describing what it is like. Right. To be in that place. Well, you got there by peeling the layers away in a, in a, right. in a very, you know, patient patient way you know psychotherapy well done also the an examined life we're talking about an examined life um where we know ourselves we know what we can't control we also know that we don't identify any longer with all of our obsessions and neurotic we say and all of that leaves you dwelling in a mystery because then who am i and uh and yet that place is also the place of liberation. Um, and that's, what, that's what, right. Thank you. Susan, nice and loud if you can. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I relate to what you're saying, Gail. And I think <clears throat> to get to that place in meditation, you have to go through a lot of process of seeing you know, how our thoughts go around and around and around. And, I've heard the description, it's kind of like our mind is like a wild horse that, you know, just goes galloping away with us, you know, and, and sometimes we just feel like it's out of control, and then, you know, the sort of negative thoughts and negative feelings about one, thoughts about oneself uh, can go around and around and around, and in meditation, I think, finally, you, you do have to go through that process, but hopefully there's these moments where somehow we move away from it's like we see objectively that this is happening but we're the witness of this happening mm -hmm. and then we kind of move in a more detached place you know away from that um and the other the other thing for me that really gets me into uh, uh, another state of consciousness, uh, more positive when I'm, you know, into a negative place is 
is nature, like a, like a sunset, mm -hmm. a beautiful sunset, because uh, there's like something about it that's just so, I mean, I'm so in awe of that beauty, and it's so much greater than myself that somehow it, you know, it, it moves me away from my, you know, little self mm -hmm. to, um, or my own little stuff to a, a, a larger feeling of cosmic connection, I guess. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. One of the most, you know how out of the, just like me taking these phrases, and it's kind of out of how many phrases, rabbinic Jewish tradition has its favorite phrases that it takes from the Bible. And one that gets repeated over and over and over again is um, that awe is the beginning of wisdom. Awe is the beginning of wisdom. I believe that's also from Proverbs. Um, I'll look up the exact reference for you, but the rabbis love that phrase. You can see why. Yeah. It's just what Susan's saying. Uh, wisdom as opposed to, uh, you know, knowledge or other, other forms of information gathering or even skill. So awe is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe awe is part of where we can learn how to dwell in security by, by nurturing awe. Yeah. Esther? When Herbie died, um, for me it was the end of the world that I knew. So how I long are you two married? 56 years. Yeah. So I felt like this bird. Um, and what I found is the only thing that helped me to move from this obsessive um, feeling of uh, grief mm -hmm. was to write. So you wrote. I wrote. And in the writing, what happened to me is I understood. And from understanding, um, go through several um, ways of being in the world, um, from feeling like a stranger in a strange land, from feeling like my world has chasmed and I'm at the bottom of it. Um, <clears throat> what I found is that I had to be open to myself and that being open to myself allowed these thoughts, um, hard thoughts, that I didn't want to deny. And through, through that, slowly, I could find my way back to a different world. It's not the same. Um, and I had to gain new skills. But the most important thing about that experience for me was that it began and ended with me. That there was no external. That there was very much internal. And through that process, I found my faith. Not religion, not God, but my faith. And I can't explain that at all. I don't know what it means, I just know what it feels like to me. Um, so that coming to temple and experiencing your joy 
um, gave a lot of meaning to me. So part of that is finding, finding new ways um, and being open to those new ways. Never in my life did I think I would be sitting here in a group, in a synagogue, discussing this. Never. Um, we were not, uh, I mean, my grandparents were, but my husband and I were not religious, we not, um, did not belong to a synagogue. I mean, we did, you know, Seder and Rosh Hashanah. We were high holy day Jews. Um, but that's changed for me. And it's, it's a very profound experience. It's very new. And um, that was my experience. Thank you. Laura? It seems to me in listening to what people are saying, my voice carries, right? <laughs> Everybody's doing much better, thank you. <laughs> no, I'm famous for having a big mouth. <laughs> um, that there are paths, lots of different paths, out of the ensnarement. Mm -hmm. And so people have described ones that have worked for them, mm -hmm. but there are many, many more. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I, I was thinking, well, what's, what have I seen? I was thinking of my mother and thinking of my own dark, really dark times. And um, for both of us, and I can see her coming out of her dark time in the same way that I've used, which is engagement. Uh -huh. Which is sort of not really the opposite, but it's the other side of the coin. You know, there's the meditative. And it's getting, because when you engage, you get out of yourself also, out of your like. Right. Well, if you see life as. You people know, like say volunteer. Fellini, yeah. like a parade. <laughs> you know, that end of. Uh, which movie is it? Where she joins the parade. You know, after all this. What? Knights of Kabiri, exactly. You know, where all these bad things have happened to Kabiria, and there's a parade, and she just joins in the parade. After so that, she suicided. After she attempted suicide. Right. I mean, uh -huh. After she attempts suicide, she joins the parade. Yeah, she's standing there, this parade comes by, and it's a Fellini parade, and, <laughs> you know, so it's sort of carnival, and... And, but I think that's, so when I was listening to what other people were saying, I was just thinking that there are lots of different ways, you know, engagement, joining the parade, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. or I always think of it as a river, Beautiful. you know, getting in the river, mm -hmm. um, that sense of movement, mm -hmm. you know, is another way that we get out of the closed in That's right. place. That's right. Thank you. That's so well put. I'm trying to think of common denominators. In, in all <laughs> cases, somehow we have to let our guard down. We have to be willing to... For Kabiria, it was being willing to get hurt again. Yeah. Being willing to get hurt again. That's right. Oh, well, that may be it. 
you may have just said it. <laughs> How do you keep going? You have to be willing to be hurt again. Get the possibility of getting hurt again. Yeah. Also, try helping somebody else. Yeah. You know, when you're not focused on yourself and you're yes. helping somebody else. Yes. Also Thank you. Thank you. Suzanne, did you want to share something? Yeah. Um, nice and loud. Okay. First of all, I just want to say what you said really moved me so much. Um, you know, I think there were pieces of it, even though, of course, I didn't have so much. Can you speak any louder? Oh, there were pieces of what you said that I really related to, and I just want to say I admire your courage in facing yourself and coming back, you know, even stronger. So I think that's incredible. Um, we don't, humans don't necessarily, all of us, survive our tests. Right, right. So I wanted to share that for me, um, I've done a little bit of meditation and I think that that helps, you know, sort of separate from what's going on, the thoughts, the feelings, that they're not me. They're not who I am. And, that's, and that is a practice that can be helpful, but I also have done a little bit what Jacob was doing and wrestling with the angels. And I've had you know, experiences inside where I am wrestling with, it's not, it's not even the thoughts and the feelings are not just thoughts and feelings. They have energy, they have an agenda, and, and, I am, and I am wrestling with them. And within that conversation mm -hmm. and that struggle, I, I, I become more clear about who I am as a person. And I just also wanted to say that um, I also, you know, sometimes it's great just to, if you need to get out of yourself or connect to something bigger in nature for me is, is that. Yes. Um, but there's something, and that's how I connect with God mostly. But there's also, so there's the wonder of, wow, I'm part of this amazing Mm -hmm. story mm -hmm. that's unfolding, the story of creation that's constantly mm -hmm. unfolding, but what I, but my place of ultimately of security that I'm bringing back to this, yep. is that, is that, is that it's so, the relationship is so particular that God knows my thoughts, he knows what's in my heart, that ultimately my trust and faith is in him, her, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, and that um, and that and I've seen this work, I've seen this magic, this force work itself out in my life. So and that reinforces the faith that I have. That it's that the relationship is not just, you know, I'm here and the world is going on, but that I actually I am I am an actor and I matter. Yes. And in that way, I I feel like a greater sense of security. 
That's beautiful. Thank you. We will always come down to paradoxical, um, or at least, oh, not even, I won't even put it in binary terms. Um, there are so many learning styles. There are so many levels of engagement. There's so many personalities uh, that, that, we, that it is very particular for each of us. Uh, and that somehow, sometimes what you could say is that what we're here to do is keep each other company uh, on the journey. You know, and I certainly, yes, I, I'm interested in people's stories, and so I, I like being engaged, too. But thank you. Um, I'm going to share one more thing. Um, um, uh, I forgot your name. Lisa. Hmm? Lisa. Lisa. Uh, again, I'll remind you of that famous saying by Rabbi Simcha Bunim of Polish, Polish place, uh, who said everyone should have in their, uh, when they come before God, they should, on, they should have in their pockets two notes. On one note it says, for me the world was created. And the other note says, I am dust and ashes. And wisdom lies in knowing which note you need to pull out of your pocket at any given moment. <laughs> right? The one that you matter, or the one that it's okay. Right. You, you're part of every, you know. And one note by itself is simply insufficient for the, comp, for the complex thing that is being alive. Um, who, Lisi, what did you want to share? Oh, this has been amazing. Like, this has really lit me up. And thank you. That's the most articulate... Um, portrayal of uh, someone who found faith, you know, at, at a really dark time. Thank you. It's, um, you know, my parents were avid Jewish intellectual atheists who said, sorry, if you think there's a God, prove it to me. Um, and my father said, even on his deathbed, and he struggled, I'm a card-carrying atheist who's headed for oblivion. And I finally realized, you know what? That was his faith. Like, it's crazy, but it's sort of fun. Oh, yeah, atheism is definitely yeah. a faith. You know what I call it? I, I, I kind of uh, coined a phrase, I think. Fundamentalist atheism. Absolutely. Fundamentalist atheism. Absolutely. <laughs> because it's so deep, and you can't argue it. And, you know, so I had to, I had to go through a lot to find my faith um, and what it meant. And it, it's a lot of what everybody here, which is probably why I felt so comfortable when I sat down, talking about, you know, in the woods, in nature, you know, um, writing, and then um, this thing about meditating, I, I, had, I couldn't just be told, sit on the cushion and figure it out. Someone gave me an instruction, and there's many ways to notice my thinking and label it thinking and then come back to the breath. And then that eventually became, in life, notice my thinking. I'm starting to get, you know, um, pissed off at this person. Just cultivate the witness and don't react. So it's just like what you said, you know, not just on the pillow, taking it with you. So the practice helps me to not take the bait when somebody throws it. Because I'm, I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm ready to catch it and argue. And like, I'm, I'm just getting a little bit too old to want to argue anymore. I mean, unless it's a good argument about something, you know. <laughs> but I, I, it's just, you know. And to, today it's about if I feel good physically, then I can handle anything. So it's the, the, the hard struggle comes when I'm feeling off balance. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. and the rest is cake. If I have a good night's sleep and all the cards are lined up, I can pretty much, well, the, handle anything, knock on wood. But... Um, so to me, that awe is the beginning of wisdom thing. Reminds me of like you know many teachings where it says you know have beginner's mind, right? Be childlike and be open, 
Right. And one of the things that sets me free is um, venting or kvetching. I'm sorry, but it's true. Like Absolutely. If I, I need a good friend. I can go that, and I can gossip, and you know, and just someone who will say, "Okay, now where is the uh, positive? Where's the solution? Where are we going to find, you know, the God in this? You know." Right. So, but I, I need to vent. I realized for a long time I tried to be holier than that. You know, like, right. I'm fine. I don't have right. any problems. I can handle anything. And it made me sick. Right, because it was phony. It's phony. I need somebody I can go, I'm hurting. Let me get this out, you know, and so I can get to that place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Susan? It, it reminds me, I said to this friend once who I hadn't talked to for a while because he lives in Boston. And... Uh, he said, oh, how are you doing? And I said, well, I alternate between gratitude and kvetching. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I said, I try to focus on gratitude, but I can't help somehow going into kvetching. And uh, he said, well, actually, I think that there's a very important creative uh, need, you know, usefulness for kvetching. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. Oh, but kvetch. Kvetch. You just got to get the K and the V together kvetch. to make it. Kvetch. Well, you know, in the Midwest, I'm from the Midwest, we talk about <coughs> Oh, yes. So you, that's how you say it right. That's perfectly right for the Midwest. <laughs> Hard to get it together. But, um, I, but this friend said, you know, there's a very important um, place for this, for kvetching, because when you do that, you're... You're opening yourself up to somebody, you know, you're sharing your real feelings, you're not just putting on a front, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, yes, I'm fine, everybody says, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. No, you know, everybody has this, this, this thing we present to the world. So he was saying, you know, this way you're really opening yourself up, you're really being real, and you're sharing your real self with somebody. So I find that that's another thing that gets me out of a, like you were saying, if I'm in a, a down place. Thank you. Bob? Uh, you have to kvetch to somebody who loves you. Oh, <laughs> oh nicely put. <laughs> nicely put. Yes. Uh, relationships are very important. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you. I'm gaining a lot from this conversation in a way that just sort of makes me feel like I can go forward, you know, and that I, what I want to do is go forward without my armor up. <sighs> Did you want to add something, Helen? I, I was going to say, if you want to look at people who, who have had to go through this and, and survive, you look at the slaves and you look at their spirituals, their songs, and you listen, you read the words of those, and you see how people who they're in a bad place, and what they look, how how they find some way to. And there's one I remember that um, where he's singing, um, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he's watching me. I right. mean, that's like, you know, how do you, what do you do when you're a slave or when you're in this? How do you place? nurture that? How do you? find a way, and, and they did, you know. Well, Reb Shlomo Karbach, one of his, Reb Shlomo Karbach said, what do you do when your heart is broken? You sing. So, expressive, for the path of self-expression, you know, is another key 
you know, and the thing is you can be, you can express yourself in a way that doesn't take flight, that just sort of like scratches the, the scab. And then there's another kind of, when you have the right friend listening, there's another kind of self-expression where somebody draws you out. And that's different because it allows the energy to flow again. Um, uh, for me, um, my, my kind of awakening in all this was in college, and I've told this story before, when I took a class in dance improvisation with an extraordinary teacher who, I'm, thank God, I'm still in contact with, um, who practiced faith by saying, go out on the dance floor and don't plan what you're going to do and be open to whatever happens out there. And I was petrified because... All I knew was I didn't want to do the wrong thing and I didn't want to be a fool and I didn't want to, you know, all the things that we have that we learn. And so in that sanctuary of a dance studio was when I first discovered the possibility of expressing myself in a way that joined a larger dance and became a metaphor for me that um, I've lived by ever since but not just a metaphor, actually, something I practice. And so I'll ask myself when I'm in a funk, why isn't the energy moving? Because if energy's moving through me, whether it's tears or laughter, or it's like I know that that's going to allow the next part of the story to happen inside me. And so it's not expression, self-expression for the sake of spilling my guts. It's for getting it out of the, out of the way so that the next thing can come. And when I do that, I experience miracles. That's the amazing thing. Serendipity. Um, connections that I could never have predicted. That's how I do this. I sit and I, I allow. So there's this paradox of being a creative person, an expressive person, you know, the kind that drove my brothers crazy because I'd never shut up. Um, that personality that that was actually my pathway um, to, uh, to learning what it means to, um, that there's a greater energy that, I can, that I'm participating in. So that's sort of, again, personality types, as, as I would say. Can I, can I just want yeah. to build on that a little bit? Oh, because you're hanging around jazz, right. improv and jazz improvisers all the time. Improvisation, um, I think, is, is the key piece of that. And because improvisation, gives us the ability, it, it is flow, it is trust, it's flow, it's all of this, whether you're improvising music or talking or writing or dancing, dancing it right. doesn't really matter. Um, but when you're, when you're able to, you, when you're able to clear out all that stuff you were talking about, then you can improvise and then you become that uh, conduit or vehicle for something bigger than yourself. But I think improvisation is, is a key piece of that and, you know, as we live on this planet, we are improvisers, right? We're all improvising every day. That's for sure. You know? and, and so that's, and, and sometimes we do it really well and sometimes we don't. And for me, as, as a people person, I rely on the friends. Yes, who, the other. The other, yeah. who will, who I can quetch to until it dissolves into some kind of chuckle of self-awareness or something or something so that the dam breaks. But some of us, find that innate. Some of us talk to trees. Some of us have a relationship with God. It's all the same. Right? 
it's all the same if it's serving that function for you. Um, whether you're a people person or a dog person or a this, or, if you have the other, um, uh, for me, they're, they're different personality types, different, ex- different relationships to the cosmos, but if we can, then we find ourselves restoring our connection that way. Diane? My favorite teaching one of them is what you said about the two notes. Yes. I love that. Um, and I remind myself of that a lot. Also, my favorite bumper sticker is don't believe everything you think. Right. <laughs> and I remind myself of that. Um, <laughs> um, and the other thing is this too shall pass. Right. It's very helpful in the bad times and it may well get much worse. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? This too shall pass, pass, and it may get get worse. worse. So, you know, and what are you going to do? Be unhappy all the time? But, you know, as I said before, I haven't been, I mean, I'm not a Syrian refugee, having just lost a child in the ocean, you know? I mean, I haven't, I have a pretty easy life, you know? Yeah, and you've had your losses. I have had, I have losses. I do have losses, but. And anybody's losses can break them unless they figure out how to write their way out of it, how to, how to stay in the game, how to... Yep. Well, I, I think that Speak loud, Susan. I think that's a good point, though, what you made, which is that um, sometimes just by looking at what's happening in the world, you know, some of these things that are so horrendous, it does help us to get perspective because I know sometimes I can get upset oh, yes. about something that's really rather <clears throat> trivial, and just to look at the you know, but look look what's happening in Syria. You know, it does give us pers- perspective to do that, and then at least be grateful that our own problems. That's actually one of the main themes of the Book of Jonah, where. Uh, jo- uh, I'll be, we'll be talking about this on Yom Kippur, but basically Jonah finally fulfills his mission and tells the people of Nineveh to repent, and then he goes outside the city and sits on a hill to see what happens. And Because uh, Jonah's basically an idiot. That's, he's the protagonist, and he's a jerk. And um, uh, God, it says, and God made a, um, a, um, a squash vine to grow up over him to give him shade. And Jonah was happy. And then God sent a blistering wind and it shriveled the vine and then Jonah was baking in the sun and Jonah was angry again. And God says, so Jonah, you're angry about the vine? There's a whole city of people and beasts there that I have compassion on. You think I should, you know, keep your perspective, Jonah. (laughs) That's one of the main parts of the Jonah story. And we read it on Yom Kippur. Um, So uh, it's a good one. I have a thought. Lunch. Lunch. That's your thought. That's right. Well, we have a few more minutes. Right. A lot of people bring their lunch. Let's look at the next one. Yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. And they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. They shall be a sign for you between your eyes. I chose this phrase because most Jews who know any Jewish liturgy know this phrase. Uh, where does it come from? 
the Shema. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear Israel. And, you know, as Suzanne was talking about Israel, we haven't talked much recently um, about the meaning of Israel, which literally means God wrestler. Yisrael means God wrestler. And uh, um, that was Arthur Waskow who popularized that with a book called God Wrestlers. Um, it says, listen, God wrestlers, the source of life is our God and the source of life is a unity. One, echad. And you shall love the source of life with all your heart and soul and might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them to your children. And you shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall make these words a, a sign on your arm and they shall be a mark between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. This is the spiritual centerpiece of the Torah and of Judaism. Um, isn't that beautiful? As many of you know, those are the words contained in a mezuzah on the doorposts of the house. Because it says, write them on the doorposts of the house. So that's where the custom of mezuzah comes from. The custom of tefillin, of prayer box, of the prayer phylacteries, the black boxes that uh, some Jews wear when they're praying, that have the leather straps. You're all familiar with uh, the image? Um, uh, is because those, those little lacquered leather boxes contain the words of the Shema. Because it says, you shall, there are little scrolls in those boxes, just like in the mezuzah. And so you put them between your eyes, because it tells you to. What are you putting between your eyes? God is one. Love the source of life with all your heart, soul, and mind. So if we're looking for a recipe for some simple guideline, um, it's right there. It's so clear and beautiful. And of course, it, there's, so many, there's so many layers that we forget how, how deep the core is and how our spiritual tradition, there are a lot of words in the Torah, chose those words to put in the mezuzah and on your arm and between your eyes, right? So for those friends of mine, I occasionally put on tefillin. For the friends of mine who do it all the time, that's what they're doing. It's their practice. It's their spiritual practice to remember right now. Um, the fact that tradition places the, uh, the tefillin at the hairline and down here like this. Um, so that some people wear them lower, some people wear them a little higher. There are different customs. It seems clear to me that it's related as an energy person to the chakra of the third eye. We all know that, like, you know, this is an incredibly sensitive spot. You know, the game where you close your eyes, kids love to do this, and, you, and someone moves their finger close to you, and at which point do you get to, can you actually sense that uh, there's something in, it could be inches away from you, right? It's, it's these sort of, the, the radiant energy that's coming out of our body. So in the uh, Hindu tradition, right, this is the, um, the seat of consciousness. Um, 
let's see, I, I think in this, the, the, and, and in the Jewish tradition, this is where you put those words. So in, uh, I just find that to be amazing. So I wrote here, our third eye represents our expanded awareness, our mindful presence, the seat of our open consciousness. By attending to this greater sight that we each possess, we learn to not become trapped in the mazes of our repetitive thoughts and emotions. That is something we've discussed at length already in this class. But I just wonder if anyone wants to share any reflections or reactions to this line as um, uh, another one that occurred to me as a remedy for when we're ensnared. It works. It works for me. As soon as I place love, lo uh, you know, I translate God often as life with a capital L, or life unfolding, because yod heh vav the the uh, Hebrew name of God, um, it, which we don't pronounce, uh, can be also be pronounced, be pronounced as, uh, it is named at the burning bush as I am becoming what I am becoming. So, um, I have found that to be an incredibly helpful tool in my life, is to remember right between my eyes to love life with all my heart, soul, and mind. To close your eyes and, or with your eyes open? With uh, whatever works for you. <laughs> yes, the seven, I have, here, I'll put it in, the, uh, in I'll, put it, I'll write an article. The seven steps to full spiritual liberation. <laughs> Right. I, Make sure you sell it for a lot of money. Yeah, I'll sell it for a lot of money. Yeah. Eyes open or closed? <laughs> but what's remarkable is here we are with this uh, gematria. Right. This gematria, 777. Our winger here. And it's here. That's what's remarkable. Thank you. And it's the antidote to the 5777. And it's an antidote to... And to what? To the larger 5777, right? It liberates us from the snares. Um, yes, behind all of the beauty of the Jewish tradition and the fact that is, that, is that what Bob's saying. And it, uh, it's aw awesome. It's awe-inspiring. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. That's right. Diane? I want to comment on you, what you said about the tefillin and about this verse about that it's their religious practice. I think practice is a word that we use about religion without understanding that it's just like piano practice. That's right. Practice is not, uh, practice means you practice so you can right. get better at it. That's right. So if you have a spiritual practice, it's, it's something that you do to get better at the, um, maintaining the awareness you want to maintain moment to moment. Because you're practicing. Thank you. Anything else? I just realized that when I, when I would put my kids to sleep and when I would bend down to kiss them, this is where I kissed them, right there. Mm. I wonder how many other people did that. Oh, we love the brow, the forehead. Yeah. It's such a place of yeah. sensitivity and a furrowed brow versus an open one. Yeah. It's a very, it's on your face. Yeah. which is the, what we present, and yet, you know, um, uh, one of Abraham Joshua Heschel, who's a great teacher about this stuff, one of his pithy little uh, paragraphs that I kept is, 
how can we look on a face as a commonplace? Mm-hmm. You know, it presents itself to the world all the time, and yet when you actually contemplate it, it's a complete, again, fabulous mystery, awesome mystery. Yeah. Oh, boy. Right here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a lot of, there are, there are a lot, there's a lot of esoteric and experiential and spiritual exploration, certainly in the Hindu and Eastern mm-hmm. traditions, about what this place does. Mm-hmm. And I, in my explorations of energy, know how powerful mm-hmm. this spot is. So if we can assume that we are beings made up of energy fields, right? Just like the earth has a magnetic field going on, that we have auras, that we have fields. Naturally, there's no reason not to assume that. Not that we understand it all, but we're not, we're not dead coarse matter, right? We're living beings. And assuming that that's the case, even if we don't understand it all, then we have to track our intuition to know where these power spots are on our bodies and then to attend to them. And Tefillin does that. It's in yoga, it's the six chakra, you know, the yes. seven chakras so of the energy centers in the body, and this is the six chakra, and it's supposed to be the seat of psychic awareness. Yes, it's known as the seat of psychic awareness. And in Kabbalah, this is Da'at, Da'at, which is uh, awareness. In the, in, in the Kabbalah, the, the attributes of the divine are are. are uh, in, superimposed on the human form. And they m- line up with many of what in uh, yoga awareness are energy centers. And this one is awareness in Kabbalah. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, Gail. When I first started meditating long, long ago, um, as soon as I would shut my eyes and I would see this incredible blue-purple light right here. Really? Yeah, and it still is for me a marker when I am really letting go, kind of. It's, and it seems to me, you're nodding, it's the same color that I think is a description when the elders see God. Yes. In that blue. In that sapphire blue. blue. Mm-hmm. It's that color. And it I went, didn't know Torah then. I that's so cool. In Exodus chapter 23, after they've received the Ten Commandments, Moses and 70 elders and Aaron and Aaron's sons Nadav and Avihu go up the mountain and behold the divine presence. And it was like sapphire. That's how they describe it. And then it says, and they ate and drank. And the, the, um, the commentators always are, they ate and drank, but they do have a picnic, you know. And then they say, no, this is a description of a spiritual awakening. And they are, they are uh, as it were, being nourished by the energy of the divine that's flooding through them. This was, I knew nothing about chakras. I knew nothing. This was the experience. Mm-hmm. And you're nodding. Is it yeah, when I, I, I don't meditate regularly, but when I first started, that was exactly, it was right there. There was just right. no, no, it wasn't quite blue or anything. I think it was, I don't remember what color, but it was right there. No question about it. Well, you're colorblind anyway. Right, exactly. It would yeah. just be black and white. Or no, 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 but everyone, everyone, again, we have this, this overwhelming desire to systematize what is unsystematizable awareness. Ineffable. Ineffable. Systems help, 
But then we think, oh, this is the blue place. And then we have completely gone off track, right? Blue is something some people experience when they are experiencing energy in this part. That's fine, you know. But if we then, again, we're so desperate to get it all in, you know, and I'm sorry, gang. You know, the ineffable doesn't um, uh, surrender to that. And then we find ourselves creating idols that we worship, right? Creating forms that don't serve the purpose for which we initially uh, tried to describe our experience. Yes, Lisa? I just looked it up, and it says it's the pineal gland. Right, right. Theosophy says this is the pineal gland. Yeah. What is, is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Yeah. I, what does that gland do? I, I guess it's not pineal. Or pineal. Pineal? pineal? Yeah, and uh, it's uh, located near the center of the brain between the two hemispheres, tucked in the groove where the two rounded um, thalamic bodies are. Anyway, it's, it's um, and then it says the third eye controls the various biorhythms of the body. It works in harmony with the hypothalamus gland. Um, which directs the body's thirst, hunger, sexual desire, biological clock, determination of aging process. Yes. And, and, yeah, and then it goes on to you know talk about the. Uh, I read that. The zero point. Mm-hmm. That it's uh, it feels um, it's it's focusing your consciousness and trusting what you see, is that. Lovely, lovely. Thank you, thank you, Blaze. You know, you use the phrase here by attending to this greater sight that we each possess. And when I think about greater sight, I think about imagination, which is a greater sight. And um, I was watching a video with Stephen Jenkinson, who wrote this book, Die Wise, and he talks a lot about death and grief and depression. And what he said in this particular video about depression is that depression is a failure of the imagination. (laughs) And I thought that that was really useful somehow. And Mm. it sort of goes with this greater sight because our sight for, our imagination is really, doesn't really exist in depression because we can't, you know, it's like, oh, it's terrible, it's not going to get any better, everything is horrible, there's nothing else, blah, blah, blah. And so I mentioned that to somebody the other day who was depressed, and it was kind of like a, oh. And so to be able to use one's imagination to get out of that shadow place could be something that is useful. Thank you. I'd like to share something about that, because in my, I remember in rabbinical school, we were studying the medieval Jewish philosophers, and they were very keen, Maimonides in particular, on discussing the intellect and the imagination. And imagination was higher than intellect for Maimonides. But because of the materialistic sort of like, and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not just materialistic, but um, because we, priv- we so privilege um, 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 uh, fixing things. Fixing things and thinking systematically yeah. in our society. Uh, Imagination has become diminished as a quality. But for Maimonides, who was an intellectual, right? he, was, he was an amazing intellectual, uh, and a very systematic thinker, he, for him, imagination was a higher faculty because that's where he met God. That's where he connected with God. So I'm just relating to what you're saying. As, uh, I, like the, I like that. So, I mean, there's, there's this, there's this, 
there's this inquiry process that one can use for oneself or with anybody else who's suffering. And, but the whole the question that occurs to me is, what if to let one's imagination fly, sort of, and not to try to be practical or mechanistic or logistical mm -hmm. or anything like that, just what if, and just sort of dwell in what if for a while and oh, see what happens. That's beautiful. That's right. Unleash the creative uh, process in that way. Just dwell in the what if. Thank you. Because we only have a few more minutes, let's just look at the last two phrases. Also from Deuteronomy. Hatov v'hayashar b'nei Adonai Elohecha. What is good and upright in the eyes of Adonai your God. I thought that maintaining our integrity and our moral center will always help us remain upright in the midst of confusion, attacks, and temptation. Take the high road. It seemed like another way to not get entrapped in the Sturm und Drang, in the noise and fury. Um, and also, it allows me to look myself in the mirror, you know, uh, and say, okay, I'm trying to be a mensch here. I'm doing the best I can. That is a deep, deep thing for me. In, in, uh, so much is out of my control. What can I control? about my own responses and behavior. Um, and then the fourth one I chose from Deuteronomy is when Moses begins his final speech and says, this phrase, that's the 777, May my words fall like gentle rain. Isn't that a beautiful piece of poetry? And the whole phrase, now, when you read Hazinu, some of it ain't so gentle. So I'm taking this a little out of context because Moses really goes on a tear. Uh, say, it, but it just the opening words are made, my words fall like gentle rain, my speech drip gently like the dew, like showers on new growth, like droplets on blades of grass. Let us watch how we speak so that our words nourish rather than pummel and destroy. This is powerful medicine for the troubles of our times. Now there's a whole huge area of Jewish thought called Shmirat Halashon, which means watching what we say. Um, and for Judaism, which is a tradition which makes language its uh, pinnacle, right? Language, writing, and speech are the pinnacle of Jewish life. That's why a Jewish class like this, we're talking. <laughs> you know, that's how we we make lang we want to make language elevate us. Right? That's what we do. Um, so Shmirat uh, Halashon then becomes a very very carefully discussed issue. How do you use speech for the um, the the, the, the most good, right? What's, how, and, and so um, I, we all know this intuitively and from painful experience, what it means to be spoken to with love as opposed to with, with uh, harshness. And I feel like that also will untie our tangles. 
you know, rap, because one of the tangles we find ourselves in is wars of words that have no function other than to be weapons and uh, to diminish people. And uh, it's a sickness of our time, of any time. But, there, but in our lives, we have experienced different periods where civil discourse meant something different than it does today. And um, so that line jumped out at me for this moment. We're all working on it. We're all working on it. And I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to do my best. But then we need people to kvetch with. I'm dead serious. I am dead serious. There's public civil discourse where your purpose is to communicate. And then there's the purpose of using words to unload. To love. And to love. That's right. That's right. So... Find, we have to find our uh, sacred listeners, our right. beloved friends, where we can unload so that we can get it off our chest. That's a good physical word, isn't it? You know, we're talking about the third, and then it's getting things off our chest. Which is the heart center. Heart center. Heart center. So that we can practice letting our words be like gentle rain, where we want them to land and actually nourish. So, that again for me is, I need people. I need my, I need my community and I need my intimates. Um, so that I can both unload what I need to unload, but then also have people reminding me how we want to practice all of, all of this. Bob? Again, the extra power, it seems to me, is that this is found for 777, on Moses' last words, you said it's his final address. It's his final address. And it, it just seems to me to add to the um, wonder of the moment that we find this now. Yes. Yeah. Isn't it marvelous? I think so. I think it's just marvelous. This is my gematria game, and it's a holy game for me. I, I think so. And uh, so that's why every year, I say, I wonder what I'm going to get what this you'll discover. year. <laughs> yeah, what and, I'll discover. And it's from our these? tradition. Jonathan, do you say these? Oh, yes, I have years of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then what we're going to do on the high holidays, you're helping me because I'm going to make these the themes on Yom Kippur and second day Rosh Hashanah for the Aliyahs when we call, each, call people up. Right. And I'm going to say, who this year wants to focus on um, expanded awareness and, uh, and we'll call people up. I'll say it adds up to 777, so this is the moment. This is your phrase. And then it becomes, as it were, your, like, write it on a note in your pocket. It becomes your mantra for, for 777. So yes, that's how I practice it. Um, uh, it's very idiosyncratic on my part. <laughs> I don't have any colleagues I know who are doing this particular. Oh, is that true? Well, that not true? the way I've refined it. It's just become my. It's just become my thing. Yeah. It's, it's such a wonderful way to connect yeah. with 
the Torah, with the tradition. Yeah. Yes, it is, isn't it? The connections. Isn't it? It's yeah. like you open the atlas and you point somewhere, yes. and, and this you is, find us. And you find yourself there. Mm. That's right. Us. That's right. That's right, Bob. Have you had any years that didn't work out so well? No, no. Every year, Karen Levine does this with me because she has the program on her computer. Right. So it's our, it's sort of right. we get together in the summer and we say, "What's this year going to be?" And then we take note. Some years it's preponderantly in certain books, which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is all on one level. It's random. On another level, it's it's there's there are patterns that are going on. No, every year. Um, things emerge, but I have to sit with them. Yeah. You know, we're almost out of time. A couple more comments. Just Reshit Chochma is from Psalm one eleven ten. Ah, it's not from Proverbs. Reshit Chochma. There are the verses similar. It's Tehillah Chochma is in Proverbs, but it's Psalm one eleven ten. Thank you, Susan. Uh, well, it was a miracle for me three years ago when I came to the service the week before Rosh Hashanah, and you gave out the your thing. That's right. And I had just a couple hours before the service had gone to a place I love to go and meditate in the middle of a stream sitting on a rock. Oh, you told and that I story. Had, yeah. Should, should I say it now? Or well, we're not going to have time now. Yeah, okay. But, uh, anyway, I had the experience in the stream where it st started rushing heavily after I thought something I wanted to let go of for Russia, you know, for the new year, and then went to the service, and Jonathan gave out, you know, this list, and one of them was, and let righteousness well up like a mighty stream. And you had just experienced just, that. Yeah, like two hours. I love that before. story. Thank you. Helen, did you want to add something? I was just going to say that it's, this comes through to me, why the Jewish people have lasted 5,777 years because they are, we always hear this phrase, the people of the book. That's right. It's the book. Yeah. It's, it's the, the book. The and book, that's right. the Jewish people. The book is our lodestone. It's our touchstone. It's our, it's, our, it's our home base, and that's right. So that's why I turned to Torah as a Jew. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yes? I just want to thank Being in a synagogue, having this kind of, my only experience in synagogues of my great-grandfather was right. the Orthodox and being upstairs and not knowing what was going on, but right. uh, also all the, what we're talking about exploring how we can free ourselves, and I so appreciate um, a lot, everything I've heard. Um, I won't be here for a month, I'm taking a journey. Uh, so, Is it yeah, an exciting journey? It's an exciting journey. It's, uh, How far are you traveling? Uh, to Vancouver and, and Portland. Wonderful. So, What's um, your name? My name is Nora. Nora. Well, we're so glad you can come so back any time. Thank you, everyone. And you, you won't see me uh, for the holidays because I won't be here, but that's the only reason. But I appreciate Thank you, Nora. Yeah. When we meet next week, we're going to do the backside of this, which was that in addition to Deuteronomy, there were a lot of lines from Psalms. And then when I looked up the Psalms, I have them right here, um, feel free to look at them in advance if you want. Uh, each Psalm seemed to speak to something that will help me in the new year, or that speaks to this season of um, getting back on track. So we're going to look at Psalms next time that jumped out uh, for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.